Stop it! Don't open that door! Hello, everybody, and welcome to the debut episode of the Masters of Unlocking podcast. My name is Scott. You may know me on the interwebs as VG Collectaholic, and I'm here with my co-host and fellow Cartridge Club member, Caleb J. Ross. Welcome to our podcast, Caleb. How you been? I've been great. Thank you for welcoming me to our podcast. I, I assume you were talking specifically to me just now, right? Well, yeah, I, I think we're the only ones here. <laughs> well, that's that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing great, by the way. Fantastic. How are you? Uh, you know, it's been it's been good. Been busy, but uh, life is great. And, you know, now we have a podcast, so that, I know that's kind of cool. That's, it adds to the greatness of life in general. I think, at least, I hope it will. Oh, it's fulfilling. You know, it's it's the pinnacle of achievement, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> all right. We, we got to get you into therapy very soon. But uh, before we do all of that, how about we talk? How about we talk about uh, kind of what we're playing now? And, uh, and, and, you know, that's pro- probably what people are wanting to listen to is kind of what we're what we're video games are playing. And even if they don't want to listen to it, um, we are the ones talking now. They're not. That's the beauty of having our own thing. <laughs> They're at our mercy. <laughs> that was a great villain laugh. You know, I've been working on that. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of villains, that's a great segue, Caleb. You know, we, we are masters of not only unlocking, but of segues, I yes. have a feeling. I've been playing Dungeons 2 on the PlayStation 4. Now, Dungeons 2 is sort of a, a remake of a, a classic dungeon diver, um, and it's absolutely hilarious. Have you, have you played it? I've never even heard of it. It, so I've been on this kick of buying like budget titles for the PlayStation 4. Um, mm-hmm. One of the cool things with the PlayStation is they have all these indie developers that are supporting them, and they can do relatively small print runs. So Dungeons 2 is published by Calypso Media, and they've pu- put out uh, quite a few different games for, for the PlayStation, and they all tend to be like that tw- 1999 um Twenty nine ninety nine budget release, sort of brand new, right out the gate. Their pr- mm-hmm. most popular release is probably Tropico, Tropico Five, um, uh-huh. which is sort of like a city builder slash strategy title. But anyway, on Dungeons Two, what is unique is that you actually play as the bad guy, which is kind of refreshing. You play as the absolute evil, which you can sort of think of as like a Diablo style character, hmm. and. While you're playing as the bad guy, you are. It, it's actually a very lighthearted story. It's comedic humor just all the way through, and it's gold. Um, it sort of takes little pot shots at uh, all of the different fantasy series from World of Warcraft to Game of Thrones to Lord of the Rings. They're they're sort of all in there, and the writing is hilarious. I highly recommend it. It's not going to be for everybody because the gameplay is very point and clicky. Uh, it's kind of a combination of strategy, real-time strategy, and dungeon, like, town builder. Uh, but I'm having a blast with it, and and that's really sort of consumed the last two weeks of my gaming life. Comedic humor is, for those who don't know, my favorite kind of humor. So it sounds right <laughs> up my alley there. <laughs> See, I was uh, hoping that would just slide right through. <laughs> it took everything in my being not to interrupt you, but I'm on this <laughs> personal journey to not interrupt people um, as much as I usually do. So wow. we'll work on that. <laughs> uh, speaking of strategic game, uh, I recently completed Nova 111 or Nova 111. Uh, it's a limited run games a distribution game. Uh, came out, I think, a couple of years ago, but just this year from limited run games. Uh, and I was pleasantly surprised by this game. I am not familiar with the, uh, the, the turn-based strategy mechanic at all. Um, I just, I'm, I'm familiar with it in concept, of course, and I'm familiar with it in that I've probably dabbled in the past, but I've never really given myself to a game like this. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised though. I feel my surprise was due more to this particular game than the genre itself. I think the genre itself, I may have some trouble with. I'm not sure I would fully, fully enjoy it. This game was kind of funny, had some nice humorous elements to it. It was fairly quick paced for a strategy game um, and it, it was not 
very hard, not very difficult. And those are kind of, those are things that I like about games. I like not being difficult. Uh, so it's a lot of fun there. And then I also uh, I completed the Old Blood uh, recently, uh, the the expansion or the, uh, I guess we, you could call it an expansion from uh, the New Order. Uh, I'm in full prep mode for the New Colossus coming out in October. So I had to get through Old Blood. It didn't like it as much as as the New Order, but I think that was to be expected. I, I It's just the new uh, the new order is just such an amazing game. So it was great. The now the old blood that's sort of it's is it like a zombie take? I haven't dived into the old blood yet, but I love the new yeah, order. Yeah, a little uh, uh, definitely a zombie take. So about but the zombies don't really come up until about ninety percent or about eighty percent into the game. There's really not any mention of zombies unless there's some mentions of zombies within the various leaflets and and papers that you can find the lore that you can discover that way, which I don't really care too much about. You don't spend so I, all of your hours meticulously reading every piece of, of loot in not the game? at all, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's strange, though, because when it comes to a game like Fallout, where it's presented in just a slightly different way, uh, it's it's almost presented in a more boring way. Because in the Fallout series, at least in the latter games, uh, maybe in the earlier games too, I'm not sure, there's terminals. And the terminals have the same visual look every single time. So why am I willing to read every single word on a on a on an Apple IIe monitor green screen terminal um, and not on different pieces of paper and, and, and in a way that, the way that uh, the Wolfenstein games treated is you have to actively search for the lore, whereas it's just kind of thrown at you at Fallout. So... I don't know. It doesn't make any sense, but no, I, I'm not going to piece through all of that. I, I get very, very bored with it. Um, and I think it's also, there's just so much of it that uh, it's kind of like, are you really going to find anything important in this one more news clipping that you pick up? So eh, not a big, not a big fan of that. But the I game think it's itself, probably yeah. your inner child really wanting to go back and experience uh, the Oregon Trail again. <laughs> oh, I loved that game. And I did have played on the Apple IIe. Uh, I, I was talking with someone recently about that game, and they were talking about their memories of it and how and they, they started describing color. And as soon as they started describing color, I was like, wait, wait, did we play the same game? <laughs> and I, I genuinely kid you not, for as, as invested as I am in the video game world, and as much as I've followed video games for years and years and years and years, I did not know until that moment that there ever was a version of the Oregon Trail, at least an old version of the Oregon Trail that wasn't sort of a, a nostalgic throwback, that had color. I thought the Apple IIe green screen computer was it. Um, so I was, I felt robbed a little bit yeah, of my childhood. That's um, that's certainly the only kind I played was the the green screen version. This yeah. is shocking to me. I, I kids those days, right? Right. They had everything. Yeah. Gosh. God. <laughs> Uh, pretty and then pretty I, soon they're going to want non-lead-based paint. What? Yeah. They, they better not start asking for that. I'll give them a lead-based fist. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, I also have been played. Uh, I also, as, as equally important as it is, I think, to talk about the games we've played, I think it's also important maybe to talk about the games we've abandoned. And I gave up on Tesla Grad on PlayStation 4, but only because... Um, I had completed it a few years ago on PC, so I had played it before, and my backlog for my PlayStation 4 is just ever-growing, and I felt like I just needed to, uh, rather than replay a game, I needed to just play some new games. And so um, I think in probably, uh, in a way, video games are like children. To me, they're easy to abandon. <laughs> but I'm cheating. Ah, ah, got him. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> But but don't let that don't let that fool you. See, uh, video games are also like children because I enjoy beating them. Is that one I can no <laughs> hashtag be a tit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one that immediately saw that in the hashtag uh, beat it. Just beat it. Yeah, be a tit. Don't mind if I do. Speaking of tits, uh, what are your recent pickups? I don't. Okay, that was a bad segue. See, I, I thought I thought you were going right into maybe Nier Automata with that segue. I thought, wow, he's really nailing these segues. Oh, here. you know what's great? Okay, <laughs> this is. I, I seem to have a story or an, a, a, an anecdote every time you bring up a casual aside, and and I hope that these anecdotes and asides are interesting to the listener and to you. Just today, um, something funny happened at work. So I. Um, I have a thing where when I'm playing a game, I will put 
that I will put a wallpaper of that game on my cell phone. Uh, so it, it kind of almost throughout the day, I look at my phone and I'm reminded, oh yeah, I have this fun game I can look forward to when I get home. It's just a way to sort of remind me that I have something fun to look forward to. And it keeps me sort of motivated to keep playing the game and that sort of thing. Um, and I, di- I did that with Nier Autom- Automata just before uh, work this morning because that was the next game I was going to play and I really wanted to, to, to play that. Uh, and so I just picked a random wallpaper, really not looking at the detail of the wallpaper, not at all. And of course, if you know this game, anyone who knows this game, the main uh, antagonist or protagonist, I guess, is a uh, is a very endowed anime style character uh, woman. And that was that's what was on my phone. And and I'm not an anime guy. I don't care about anime. I, I don't watch it. I don't get into it. I do often act like someone and look like someone who probably would be into anime, but I'm not. Uh, so I had some I had plenty of coworkers uh, uh, kind of question the use uh, question my wallpaper and, and really start changing their opinions of me um, so I did end up changing the wallpaper to something that was a little bit less uh, uh, pointy <laughs> so <laughs> now it's just that robot thing in the game I've never, I haven't played the game yet but I know that I assume there's a robot because that's now what's on my cell phone society's trying to change you man it's, it's terrible <laughs> it's you know working. What? <laughs> change me society i need to be changed <laughs> tell me tell me about some recent pickups or, or finds that you've uh you've had so i've been i most of my pickups lately have been either craigslist finds or thrift store finds um i haven't really purchased anything online lately um but i did find some pretty pretty shocking craigslist items here uh thrift store items here recently um in terms of being new games now i live in sort of a area of the country that is known for being sort of the the town up for me is one of the most well-off areas in in the country so our goodwills here are somewhat um skewed from what you would think in the norm (laughs) um to give you an example that's not video gaming i was in uh a not a goodwill, but sort of a, a, a local secondhand store um, last week. And I saw this gigantic hand-carved like dining set. It was this massive table that looked like it belonged in a scene out of Dracula with all of these like carved, gorgeous wooden chairs. I think there was like 16 chairs. And the, the, I was talking to the, one of the store managers, and he said this thing costs like $25,000 brand oh new. And, of course, at this thrift store, it's like $760 or something. It's just kind of yeah. – that's the kind of ridiculous stuff you find here in uh, near Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, but so back to video games, which is what people care about, probably more so than dining room tables. <laughs> um I found Splatoon 2, or I'm sorry, I found ARMS and for this for the Switch and Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy for what, PlayStation thrift? 4. At, at That's a, crazy. That, yeah, both of those were at Goodwill, and it, it was stunning. I mean, neither one cost me over 10 bucks. That's insane. It makes you think that the people who bought it, it was more worth their time to go the short distance to Goodwill then maybe two more blocks to to return it or trade it in at a GameStop or whatever. That's insane. Yeah, it's astounding. I mean, I think the the Crash Bandicoot was probably a, a retailer donation. It was mm. um, a lot of times if at Goodwill if they have like a, a non colored price tag on it. I think they're they're new items that have been donated either as returns that aren't being resold or something that the the packaging got damaged on um now it wasn't shrink wrapped but it looked brand new aside from that so that's sort of my theory there um but then the other item that i found was a craigslist find and this is one of those things that you don't expect to pop up on craigslist it was a craigslist ad that was just simply text only and it's was for a turbo express which is uh the handheld version of the turbo graphics 16 the 16-bit competitor to the genesis and the super nintendo which was relatively uncommon in most of the country mm-hmm. and it seems like it was more widely known here on the east coast um than it was certainly when i was growing up in in the midwest i didn't i don't remember seeing a turbo graphics in any store that I was ever in. 
Um, was that your experience too? Yeah, absolutely. It was one of those things. It was almost like uh, a 3DO in the sense that it, there was rumors of it existing, but no one's actually ever seen one. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't know if it was an import system or, or what, but out here they seem to be relatively common now that I live on the East Coast. But um, So I, I contacted the guy, said, hey, I'll take it. I'm interested. Um, let you know, We'll meet up whenever. Um, so I go out to this guy's house to pick up this Turbo, Graf- or Turbo Express, and it was dirt cheap. So I was expecting it to be, you know, all beat to heck and probably not functioning. And I get out there, and the guy walks out of this pretty gorgeous house with a complete inbox, looks brand new, <laughs> and a stack of games to go with it that are all wow. in the case with, you know, manual and, and the little hue card sleeve and the whole deal. Um, so that was a pretty cool find. That the Turbo Express is one of the systems that I didn't have, so it's it's nice to get wow. one of those on the cheap. Well, as jealous as that might make people to hear that you found that, I think at least from my perspective, I'm glad it found a home like yours because you you have a great collection, but you also uh, really you lean toward complete inbox collections, and that's sort of a, a point of pride for you. So to know that it found a good home. Uh, makes me happy, and, and so I'm happy for you. Well, well, thank you, sir. It's certainly not uh, not going up on on eBay. I know when I posted on Twitter, and and right away, several of the Cartridge Club members started drooling, thinking, "Oh, are you going to bring that to Barry Game Exchange?" <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you are. <laughs> oh, well, of course, that's going to be the first thing to go. <laughs> um, as for me, uh, no game pickups. I'm on a I'm on a video game hiatus, uh, buying hiatus right now, which I know are. Filthy, horrible, dirty words to a collector, but I have, uh, I, I've, I've, I went through a sp- about uh, uh, where I was buying a lot of video games, and I was buying more than I could play. And for me, that that doesn't. I, I want to play all the games that I buy, and and so my backlog was getting a little bit too much. Um, also, my wife, I told her that there were some, there were a few games that I had pre-ordered, and so those games that I have pre-ordered, which are coming out within the next couple months, plus all the games I'd recently purchased made me realize that, uh, and my wife at the same time, which is why I brought her into it, sort of collectively realized that I I probably just need to put the brakes on it for a little bit. And so I did. And and, and when I say I, I have purchased a lot of games recently, it was just more games than normal. So it really wasn't in retrospect or in you know, the grand scheme of things a whole lot of games. It was really less than 10 games over the last couple months. But that's just a lot for me. So I'm um, still I've trying a... to process this whole thing about playing games. <laughs> it's amazing. Did you know inside each of those boxes you have, there's this uh, piece of plastic that you can put into a machine and you'll see colors and lights and sounds. It's 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 kind of like a uh, an interactive uh, jukebox in a way. And this is legal? This is legal. You don't even have to be in Denver. Wow. It's amazing. I, yeah. I, I'm going to have to look into this. What, what I'll do is I'll, I'll come by your house later, um, and I will prove it to you by opening up all of those boxes that you have in, in your house. How's that sound? Start with the real old ones, because I've really been idea. wondering about those. <laughs> so for me, uh, no games. Just uh, I, I had a weird kick a couple weeks ago uh, where I decided that I wanted to start accumulating uh, PlayStation 4 controllers. Which makes no sense on many levels. Uh, one, well, I, I, I imagine you need them to actually play these games. <laughs> that is true. Yes, now, I, I missed a whole portion of this conversation. You're right. So you do need these uh, these controllers. They're called to to interact with this jukebox. Um, and I, it's it's so dumb for me to have multiple controllers uh, because I have I've literally never played except for the game genital jousting an online multiplayer game, uh, never played one ever. Uh, I have not played local couch co-op games since GameCube, PlayStation 2 era, right? And so I have multiple controllers, and I'm the last person in the world that would need multiple controllers for any reason. Uh, so, But for some reason, I just thought it seemed like it was something that was attainable. You know, there's not a whole lot of PlayStation 4 controllers out there, and there's not really a whole lot of demand for them. To, to most people, they're just controllers you don't you know you don't need anything special for those so they felt attainable um and i just found a good deal on on a group of them and i was like you know i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do it so i bought those and and that's really kind of it um the the three the three pre-order exceptions that i have for this game buying hiatus coming up are uh wolfenstein the new colossus of course uh the mario uh, odyssey for the switch and uh south park stick uh the south park fractured butthole 
And then also, perhaps four, I did uh, kickstart Toe Jam and Earl, the new Toe Jam and Earl game, what seems like years ago, and I don't think there's even a, an official release date for that yet. So I doubt that's coming out this year. I, I highly doubt that, but if it does, that would be one that um, I would be looking forward to as well. Yeah, so. I, I completely missed the Kickstarter on that. That's shocking. What, what platforms is it coming out for, do you recall? It's coming out for now, I think, all of the major platforms. At the time of the Kickstarter, it was only PC, uh, but then the uh, Comedy Central, the the, the developer and, and publisher of Comedy Central games, like Headlander and things like that, um, picked it up to be distributed. So now it's actually going to be distributed on all platforms, um, probably even Switch too, I would assume. So Very yeah, cool. it, it should be in store, kind of a, a main kind of mainstay buy kind of thing. But I have the uh, the PC indie boxy kind of version of it um, that you know now I. I I want to trade for a PlayStation 4 version, but they've already said that they're not able to do that, unfortunately. So I'm going to be stuck with a PC version, and I don't want it. So if anyone listening out there wants to trade a PlayStation 4 version for the kickboxed or kickboxed Kickstarter indie box version of Toe Jam and Earl, I would probably be open for a straight up trade. And I know I'm losing on that deal because the indie box thing is much rarer. Um, but I just have no use for it. So yeah, you could you, you could turn it into a, a kickboxing uh, training dummy. <laughs> Damn it. I'm only allowed to make fun of what you say. It doesn't go the other way around. <laughs> we got to outline these rules more thoroughly next time. I uh, see. We need to spend more time in prep, clearly. <laughs> uh, speaking time, of sometime, yeah, whatever. Speaking of overtime uh, and prep and things happening before they actually should happen, maybe. I don't know. Wolfenstein announces three DLC packs three months ahead of game yeah. release. This is this is crazy. I Now, just a, a, a week ago or two weeks ago, Mighty Q-Dog, another fellow Cartridge Club member who everybody should subscribe to on YouTube and uh, check out his content, posted a, a video talking about the dangers of pre-ordering and how it sort of leads to the acceleration of stripping out content from the game because they know they're going to sell it anyway. And I saw this news article literally the next day after I watched this this video from Mighty Q-Dog, and it really struck a chord with me. I, what do you think about this, announcing three DLCs months ahead of the actual game's release? I'm actually incredibly okay with it, and I know that sounds weird. So... First, I'm I'm of the school that believes pre-orders are a necessity, and I'm I'm okay with pre-ordering. Um, actually, I, I Mighty Q Dog and myself had some back and forth in the comment section of his video. It's a great video; everyone should check it out. And the conversation I had with him was actually it reminded me how much I love the Cartridge Club because he and I differed greatly on our opinions on this, but it never once devolved into just anger you know it was kind of we stated our piece and it was it was uh it was just a great conversation and that's the kind of conversation that the cartridge club cultivates and i really appreciate that um i'm okay with it uh because if if bethesda dlc packs um are any have, have established any sort of precedent these are going to be pretty big dlc packs in fact big enough that i think paying for them makes sense so as as an example i'll bring up fallout yet again in this paul in this uh, podcast um the most recent fallout 4 uh there were announcements their dlc announcements months before the game came out as well so this is an unprecedented this whole announce or announcing them early and the dlc packs that came out uh, two of them, I would say, were worth $30 on their own. And I, and I think it was $30 for six DLC packs. Um, they were essentially entire games, or at least um, they were entire new new worlds, new areas, uh, entirely new games, and really could have probably been sold standalone, to be totally honest, um, except for that they had some strong integration with the core game. So yeah. from a story standpoint, you really couldn't stand them alone, uh, sell them alone. But they could be sold alone, and, and they were essentially entirely new games where I would get upset is uh, I think that I think the term DLC and this happens with everyone it has been stretched so thin that it no longer means what it used to mean and I think what it used to mean would be your new skins your new characters your new things like that things that don't change the actual game or really add much to the game other than a, a pretty veneer or or a new unique veneer or something like that uh, but when you're adding entirely new levels and entirely new experience, gameplay experience, that really is almost its own game, as this seems to be with Wolfenstein 2, I'm okay with that. You know, I, I'm, I'm just fine with that. And I don't think, honestly, and maybe you can disagree with me on this, that people are going to be 
they're going to buy they're now going to buy Wolfenstein 2 because they know there's three DLC packs coming that are going to cost extra money. I think the people who are going to buy it and pre-order it were already going to uh it, knowing that you have to pay for this additional DLC um doesn't take away from the core game and the importance of the uh, the core game itself. So I'm not I'm okay with it. I know it it seems kind of crazy, but I also look at it as it's it's not a core. It, it does. It's not needed for the game experience, and it's almost a way to say, "Hey, if you like the game, when you buy the game, good news because there's going to be a ton more coming out." And it's also important, I think, to know that just because they announce this DLC three months before the game's release doesn't mean that the DLC is actually ready to go. I mean, it could still be in development and maybe not even be released. If I understand the article correctly, and I'm, I'm remember. I'm, Harkening it back from or remembering it, uh, I don't remember the exact if, if they announced like a release date for the DLC, but I would imagine it's probably not coming out for you know another six, seven, eight months. It's probably going to be mid year, and um, and so they're probably still developing it. And I'm guessing some of this orders for Wolfenstein 2 will probably help in the development of that new content. So I'm okay with it. But I talked a lot. Take a breather. What do you think? <laughs> you know, I you sort of brought me around to your way of thinking with that. Uh, <laughs> Aha! Yeah, I fooled the lawyer. Well done, well done. No, I, <laughs> I I agree. I think Bethesda's always done a really good job of making their less. It's less a DLC pack than what I think of as a, a former PC player as an expansion pack. You know, mm-hmm. um, something that is really a, another game that just expands upon the storyline of the first not uh you know, doesn't in any way complete the the underlying game but for me what this does do is lets me know that maybe instead of buying wolfenstein 2 uh, at launch i wait for the game of the year or complete mm-hmm. or uber ultimate nazi slaying top of the line <laughs> full throttle edition and get everything on the disc. Um, I'm a big proponent of physical media as a collector. Um, I don't buy DLC. I don't pay for digitally distributed content um, if it's not coming out on a disc, or I don't get it free with PlayStation Plus, or get a really great deal on it with uh, something like Humble Bundle where I'm donating to charity. I don't purchase digital content. Um, so for me, in a game that I'm interested in, that I know Bethesda has a, has a history of releasing sort of complete editions, I think this makes me think that Wolfenstein 2 will be a, a wait and purchase later. Um, mm-hmm. Because frankly, I just finished, I purchased Wolfenstein, the new order. I See, now I, I've caught... The, the this thing that you've trained me in in conflating the new order old blood old blood new order <laughs> I don't I don't remember how that goes Wolfenstein the new order um, I think I bought that back when it was released in 2014 and just finished playing it and yeah, just started playing it a couple of weeks ago and finished it um, recently here so uh, normally when I buy a new game it sits in my backlog until you know, I get the urge to to finally bust it open and play it there are a few times when it's something that i've been looking forward to for months and months ahead of time where it's busted open right away when i get it home i did that with zelda i did it with mm-hmm. um you know, the witcher things that i've really been looking forward to and as much fun as i had with wolfenstein the new order I don't know that Wolfenstein 2 is an absolute must-have day one for me, so mm-hmm. I'll probably wait. And I think that's that's the key there, is that the people who are 100% on board and are fans of it are going to pre-order no matter what. There's a certain segment of people who are definitely going to pre-order no matter what. There's a certain segment of people who may wait till the reviews come in to buy it, um, and then I think there's a certain segment of people like you that are going to wait for the uh, Game of the Year edition that packages all of everything together, and... It also, the the Game of the Year editions, which are common now, um, they create a new PR beat for a game, right? They, they allow you to revitalize the interest in the, uh, of the game. They give people uh, and news outlets a reason to write stories about the game. And it extends the cash flow, extends the shelf life of a game primary, uh, for the most part. So well, that's in a huge. way... That's huge, in, a, huge. in an era where game production is... The cost of development is just inflated massively. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you got worldwide production studios and and localization teams all over the world, and new exclusive or, uh, original music. It's it's basically like a Hollywood level production now in in the game realm. Right, and you need, and I think of the Game of the Year edition almost at almost like the 
uh, the DVD version release of movies, right? You have your opening weekend, which are the people who will buy games. The opening weekend and film is the equivalent of people who would buy games day one and start playing those games day one. But then when the game, when the movie is released on DVD or Blu-ray, I sound like an old man, uh, then you, uh, you essentially have now have a new cash stream for that video. And I think that's kind of what the uh, Game of the Year editions have done. When you have something, to your point, that's and this is points that I made in in the um, in Mighty Q Dogs video, and also in a video that I had previously made called uh, I think it was a Wire Game Announcements Made So Early or something like that. That it really just comes down to cash flow. I mean, and and, and a lot of people don't realize that games when they are announced, they aren't done yet or funded yet necessarily. Um, the whole Kickstarter mentality is is new to consumers, but it's been on the business side of of, of development and game development for for forever. Uh, you know, you, you say you're going to create a game and you announce, hey, there's a game coming out uh, next year and it's great and everything and you pre-orders are open now, pre-order, pre-order. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is, is that game is still in development and it's not paid for and the pre-order is a sign of validity or a sign of po- uh, of positive cash flow. You know, it's one metric that businesses can use to determine whether or not a game may or may not be a success, and therefore investors are would be more willing to fund the development to actually get it released. Right, uh, it's basically a proof of concept. Yeah, yeah. So I'm okay with pre-orders. I, I definitely am. What I'm not okay uh, with is Bethesda freaking releasing a New Order Old Blood combo at $30 and giving a $10 rebate to uh, Wolfenstein 2. Uh, what's up with that? Isn't this crazy? I mean, I mean, there's it's one thing to to double dip, but this is getting ridiculous where it's like <laughs> like VHS to DVD to Blu-ray to 3D Blu-ray to 4K Blu-ray. I end up with 12 copies of the same damn movie. Yeah. <laughs> is as a collector, do you double hate I mean, do you do you also want to collect these combo bundles? Like this, and I don't know if the combo bundle is going to be on a single disc or if it's just going to be the two DV the two games sold together. I'm guessing it's going to be on a single disc. Um, do you see that that as another thing you need to you need to own? Not really. Um, and it, it would depend on the system. If it was a system that I was going for a complete library mm. on, then yeah, I would I would count it as a, a unique title in the library. Um, but for PlayStation Four, the modern the only modern or current gen system and i guess it's debatable whether it's even really a current gen system i guess there's two of them the vita and the wii u um are two that i have up to date um complete retail sets for and so if it was coming out for vita then i would have to get it but um i i think i'll pass on i have the old blood and i have the new order so i don't need a a third disc uh, of the same content but if I didn't have them, I would pr- I would certainly just buy the the combo pack just to save shelf space if for no other reason. I was trying to think if there's some way I can actually end up saving money on, on this whole thing, and could I sell my old blood and new order uh, and use that money toward buy, toward this pre order with his ten dollar rebate and all, uh, all this kind of stuff. I'm trying to figure it out in my head, and I think it's more trouble than it's worth. Um, it's the equivalent of me taking my Splatoon 2 and Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy to a Greenwich, Connecticut a Goodwill instead of all the way back to GameStop. I, it's just too much work for me <laughs> to try to figure out if I'm going to save money that way. Well, if you load up all of your cans and, you know, drop them all off in Michigan on your way and get the uh, the deposit money back, <laughs> it's like an episode of Seinfeld. Yep. <laughs> Was that actually ever a thing in, uh, in Michigan that people would... would come to, into the state cross borders to try to get that 10% back or think, 10 cents back. I think maybe if you were like right on the other side of the border, you know, yeah. but it definitely wasn't a thing in Wisconsin and we were, <laughs> we were basically right on the other side of the border from the, the UP and mm. no, we're, we're mm. entire, it's entirely too cold most of the year to be doing stupid stuff like that. Speaking of having a cold, you might get a doctor to do that. And what can doctors maybe write prescriptions for in the future? Video games. Hey, now this. That's a that's a good segue. That's can you imagine segue. you have in like before the whole legal marijuana thing, you'd have one doctor for your your prescription there, and one doctor for your prescription for video games, and you just go on like a whole. I'm collecting things that used to be bad for me, but now they're doctor mandated for me. <laughs> tour. 
Yeah, uh, it's crazy. Um, so the story is, uh, it's it's a story from The Verge. Uh, prescription video games may be the future of medicine, it says, which I think is a bit of a grandiose title. I'm not sure that that really conveys exactly what the story's about. Uh, but it's a story that talks about, um, it talks about the idea of doctors at some point in the future possibly being able to write prescriptions uh, or at least uh, use video games to help. Um, and in this particular case, there's this company called Akili, I believe it's pronounced, and they're a Boston-based tech company, and they've developed this mobile game that they call Project Evo. And it's a uh, it's a mobile game that works with, uh, that, that I believe is also, no, it's just a mobile game that uh, could potentially help people with ADHD, uh, children with ADHD, uh, what's interesting about this whole concept is is there's been plenty of studies back uh, throughout time that talk well throughout time starting with the invention of video games uh, before that would be weird there's been studies <laughs> throughout time that have uh, tried to validate or discredit video games as a uh, as a health benefit as a mental support to some degree um, but what's interesting about this is it's actually going through the FDA right now to get true accreditation I guess would be the ty- type of term um, and it's it's I, there's I don't believe been really any other instance of a, of a video game or an entertainment medium really being able be going through the FDA. And right now it's in phase three clinical trials, which, from my understanding, is 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 pretty far along in the process, though not uh, it's not an official thing that doctors can prescribe yet. Um, so it's possible that this could be the first prescription-based video game in the U.S. This the, the article specifically says the U.S. Um, I didn't do enough research to see if maybe there is something in other countries. I'm, I'm not really sure, but it says specifically in the U.S. And it could create a new category of digital medicine. What do you think about this? I think this is interesting and, and scary all kind of at once. Um, so this sort of reminds me of back when I, I used to run video game stores and gaming centers, which are basically like internet cafes, but for video gaming. So people would come in and rent time and spend, you know, the days and hours playing different games that we had pre-installed on computers. And a few of our clients were surgeons. We, our, our store was at this time was right across the street from one of the local hospitals. And I was talking to one of the surgeons that would come in and play all the time. And he told me that, Students that were coming out of med school now are vastly better at surgery and intricate surgery techniques than they had than his generation was. And the medical schools were actually crediting video game play for this. So um, just with all of the training of the hand eye coordination. So it's I I think video games have sort of made their way into medical into the medical profession before this, but certainly not anything like this where you've got uh, a prescription. Well, I, I, what are your thoughts on this this whole prescription video game scene? Part of me is happy in that it's another way to validate video games. Um, for as long as I've been alive, video games have always seemed to have an uphill battle in terms of just being just being validated. I mean, now video games are a multi-billion dollar industry, but there's still so many people out there that think that they are dangerous, bad, just for kids, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is one more way to validate it, but at the same time, it also introduces this idea of regulation with a digital medium that I think is incredibly scary. I mean, does could this potentially make it easier for lawmakers to take games away so that the, all of that discrediting uh, uh, the ultimate goal of that discrediting from the past has been to remove games from the hands of children. Could this potentially make it easier to take games away from children by actually uh, validating games, but validating it in a way that forces them to be part of something that is regulated, that being medicine? You know, if it's medicine, it needs to be regulated, and therefore every game has to go through not just uh, the ESRB ratings or or the uh, uh, PEGI ratings, I think yep. it is in, in yep. the UK. Um, so not only has to go through all of this kind of stuff, but also has to go through another layer of saying, is this a video game that's going to negatively affect uh, brain chemistry or negatively negatively affect have some side effects that we weren't anticipating? Uh, and I'm I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I, I would. Who knows in this climate what will and what will happen. How ironic is it that this is it, all happening on the 25th anniversary of Night Trap where Limited Run Games is oh, releasing the oh. anniversary edition of the game that essentially helped bring about the ESRB. <laughs> That's very true. You know, I watched a, a – uh, there's a 
My Life in Gaming is a great YouTube channel, very high production values, great content. And they had recently uh, created a documentary um, sort of honoring the 25th anniversary of that game. And they talked to the creator of the game and the creator was talking about how he was, him and all his team were kind of in over their head. They didn't really know what they were doing. And when <laughs> when that game started being cited as one of the, the main reasons, one of the most violent video games ever, and one of the main reasons, he was just completely taken aback because the creator of the game never even once thought of his creation as particularly violent. He thought of it as genuinely a hokey, funny, dumb thing. Um, even as he was creating, he was like, I don't understand really what we're doing or why we're doing this. And, and he didn't have any stock into it. So, uh, yeah, it's crazy that that's happening, uh, <laughs> that we're talking about it all, all, all over again. <laughs> Going back again to sort of the history of gaming with the ESRB, um, Pong to Pokemon, the evolution of electronic gaming. It's interesting in that, so, so it's about it's about a a museum outside of Austin uh, that's creating a video game exhibit, uh, which they call Pong to Pokemon. Um, nice, alliteratively pleasing title for this thing. And my first thought when I read this was, but the video, the National Video Game Museum is just three hours away from this. Like it made me think like this isn't really a big deal, especially considering it's in Texas where the National Video Game Museum already is. And that's a fairly new thing, the National Video Game Museum. So that's still story worthy. And it surprised me that this article never once mentioned uh, the National Video Game Museum at all. Um, and this is more, this is a, a just an exhibit, a limited exhibit that's only gonna be around for a little while. Um, and it seemed like the the unique aspect of this particular exhibit, Pong to Pokemon, is that it focuses on Texas's ties to the the uh, video game evolution, which I think is is noble and valid. But I still don't know how important it is when you know there's the National Video Game Museum. But I guess you know knowing that there's there's a market at least, or at least they're they're testing to see if there's a market. Uh, for multiple video game museum exhibits, especially that close to each other, is encouraging, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's good that there's that much interest, and I think it's good that it's getting that much sort of uh, community support as well. I think that's that's important too. Um, museums and, and art museums wouldn't be you know as culturally culturally relevant if it was just artists that went to them. Um, so I think mm-hmm. getting getting more social acceptance of games as a meaningful form of art, a meaningful form of uh, social expression, a meaningful form of, uh, you know, generational communication, um, I think helps in getting a, getting games as a medium in front of non-gamers as well. Um, and I think, I think it can be explained that it, the article didn't talk about the, the video game museum and that it, it, it was the, the Austin Chronicle. So, I mean, they're trying to probably promote sort of the, the, <laughs> the local Austin scene. Um, and and you know, Texas does have a, a rich history in video games, um, you know, going back all the way to the tech, you know, Texas Instruments and, and the early um, Pong machines. Um, so it is, it's, it's kind of cool. Um, I, I do hesitate and wonder how much is is too much. I mean, you hear a lot of, of YouTubers <laughs> talk about uh, their, their goal is to, to one day open up a museum. Um, and everybody seems to want to do it their own rather, on their own rather than having sort of a, a community effort. And I think that's one thing where the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the video game museum there in Texas is getting some backing from a lot of different folks. So maybe, maybe the, it, it can serve as sort of the, the national hub, but I do think it's good to have more local involvement as well, because not everybody's going to make a trip to Texas to see video games. So the more of it you can have at the community level, I think it can only be a good thing for the game industry in general and preservation movement, uh, especially. Yeah. And that's a good point about, uh, local presence. Cause I, I was thinking the same thing. I, I'm, I'm so anal retentive sometimes that I think it would make more sense to have a single hub. I want everything to be located in one spot and I want that one spot to be the best version of itself that it can possibly be. Uh, but I think what's unique about video games and, and this seems to be, uh, you know, I, now that I'm thinking out loud about it, it's it's which is also known as talking. Uh, it seems to be that there is uh, something very unique about video games as a medium, and that you can have multi, you can have duplicates, you can have copies of essentially the same artifact, and they're all just as valid. You know, there's only one 
uh, you know, there's only one Mona Lisa, right? And so you have to you have to have that in a museum, and people have to come from all over to get it. But even as rare as say uh, an inbox ColecoVision is, there are more than one that exist, and so you can have that same artifact, and it can be just as valid as any other art as any other version of it, but spread out throughout the country or throughout the world, which is is important to know and I think very interesting and encouraging. Yeah, I mean, there's only so many places you could go to see, say, a, a Guggenheim Bible, um, but you can go mm-hmm. to libraries, you know, or used to be able to anyway. <laughs> They're sort of disappearing now. Yeah. But you could go to libraries pretty much every, anywhere and get a lot of that experience and get a lot of that glimpse into history. Um, so I think, I, I just hope there'll be more of it. Um, it it's sad to yeah. see a lot of the... Um, you know, I grew up as a, a PC gamer, um, as well as a console gamer. And it's sad to see a lot of the PC games just are completely lost to history. You know, it's sort of like the, the dark ages of, of a media form where we're never going to get to experience sort some of those things that may have been, um, you know, pretty seminal moments for, for some people's gaming, you know, history with games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I would definitely recommend that anyone, um, on the way to, uh, the Guggenheim Bible. Also, stop off and see the Gutenberg Bible, uh, which is the real. Uh, well, Bible. the Guggenheim one was the Majesco re-release. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. what it was. Well yeah. played, sir. God, I thought I had and, you. And nobody wants to go and stand in line at TSA to go see the real Bible <laughs> when they can just go see the Guggenheim one just down the road. <laughs> Especially when these lines are going to get even longer because of a new rule that TSA is putting into place. God, you impress me so much. I thought I had you, and not only did I not have you, you what you three up to me. I, right I there. masterfully unlocked the pathway to this <laughs> news story. That's what happened right here. Oh. Yeah. I get the name of yeah, our podcast. All, it now. has nothing okay. to do Makes with sense. Resident Evil. Which we never <laughs> actually explained, by the way. We should probably tell people. I mean I am sure everybody knows what the Masters of Unlocking is an homage to. Uh, if they don't know it, then they, uh, shouldn't be, I don't want them as, a, as right. our audience. Why That's are they I listening say. to a video game podcast? It's right. But you can still explain it if you'd well, like. It, it's an homage to the line, the campy line from Resident Evil, which was not a Majesco re-release in 1996, <laughs> where Barry gives the lock pick to Jill Valentine and, and Campley says, you know, Jill, why don't you, the master of unlocking, take this lockpick? <laughs> oh, should we open the podcast with, uh, you know, before the intro music starts, it should just be Barry saying, don't open that door. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. I was actually planning on putting the that line, you know, that whole line in dropping that audio in in the beginning here. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, but TSA, yeah, right? TSA. So they've announced that no longer, you know, when you have to go through the, the lines at TSA, you have to wait for the old lady in front of you to take off her shoes and you have to wait for the old guy to like take his belt off and, and put all of his, count all of his change into the dish while you are standing there with your laptop. Cause you know, your laptop has to go into the dish. Well, now you're going to have to take your laptop out of your luggage. You're going to have to take your iPad out of your luggage, your switch out of your luggage, your Vita out of your luggage, your PSP out of your luggage. And all the while the people behind you are getting ready to like stab you with pitchforks because no longer <laughs> do you just have to take the laptop out, but anything larger than an iPhone you're going to have to put into in into the bin to be individually scanned. This seems like an efficiency nightmare. Yeah, and I don't know how those people carrying pitchforks think they're going to get through security. With that's those. why they have to I use mean, them or lose them. You know, that's right. You have to drink. You have yep. to eat it before you can you get through. Down your you got to yeah. down your schlitz and stab the person in front of you <laughs> with your pitchfork before mm-hmm. you go through the security line. You know, standard yeah, TSA stuff. Yeah. I mean. Otherwise, they would use the pitchfork on you, and nobody wants that. Mm-hmm. The old curmudgeon uh, uh, conspiracy theorist in me feels this is all just a ploy to sell more of the TSA pre-check memberships. Uh, you know, you make travel so terrible that people are willing to pay for those basic services. There's an old, uh, there's a theory of economics, right? That that there's certain things that people will be willing to spend any amount of money on, you know, surgeries and things like that. It, it, there's no limit to the cost. And I think they're trying to turn the horrors of 
flight airline travel into the horrors of, you know, getting your appendix removed. Yeah, I, I can definitely get behind the whole conspiracy theory thing. I have my tinfoil hat here, so I completely agree. Um, I, I think it gets to a point, though, it, will there be like a, a TSA pre-pre-super upgrade line that... Because now the, the long line is just going to shift from the free line to the pre-check line. So I think it seems it seems counterproductive, which I guess seems like something that would be perfect for a bureaucracy to put in place. Uh, it's it's so strange to me that um, I don't know. I, I don't even know what how to think about it anymore. I mean, it, it's like, uh, I'll, I'll OK, this is slightly different, but uh, the same in some ways. Uh, like gluten-free stuff. Okay. So I'm, I'm entirely in favor of, of people who have celiac disease and things like that and eating things that are gluten-free. But the studies have suggested that really people, this people with celiac, the celiac disease in, in, uh, affects less than 3% of the population. It might even have been like 0.3% of the population. So an extremely small portion of the population. However, a, a disproportionately large number of the population insist on eating gluten-free, even though there's no, medical reason to not eat gluten unless you have celiac disease. Uh, and so it's almost as though there's this, you know, something happens to a small number of people and therefore we need to change the entire way that we go about things. Um, and that seems like to be the case here. I mean, could there have been someone who tried to sneak a switch bomb onto the plane? Yeah, probably. Is that going to happen a lot if we don't ban all switches? I doubt it, um, but I guess you know. Now that I'm saying it out loud, I do sound like a like a horrible, awful person because I'm trying to say that you know me that that other people's potential deaths aren't worth it. But at the same time, it just seems like overkill. And if something seems like overkill, I have to chalk it up to either bureaucracy, you know. But I don't think people want to be bureaucratic just for the sake of doing it. You know, they I think most people feel there's a valid reason to be overly bureaucratic, or two you got to follow the money trail. Like who stands to make money off of this? And it goes back to, back to TSA pre-check memberships. I mean, they, the, the airline industry has been losing money for a while. And uh, as far as I know, I'm really just guessing, but I assume they probably have been. Uh, and this is one way, a potentially lucrative way of doing that. If you ban something and make ter- travel terrible, then, uh, then make them pay to make it less terrible. But I don't think do the, I don't think the airlines actually make any money from this. Oh, I does it? it just okay. goes straight to TSA. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Well, it would seem, well, e- either way, there's money to be had, right? And oh, gall yeah. darn it. And, and frim fram on the frim gym and all that other old people stuff. I just really hope that they don't put Nintendo in charge of distributing <laughs> the, the uh, pre-check licenses because, <laughs> oh my God, you can see the, the scalpers on eBay. Get your pre-check license now. You know, sold out $678. <laughs> I see there's money to be made there too. <laughs> money just keeps speaking circulating. Of, speaking of Nintendo and their production problems, have you did you see a couple of weeks ago we're sort of in in financial earnings season right now where companies are announcing their second quarter um, financial results for investors and Nintendo of course on the back of the Switch has absolutely exploded. Mm-hmm. They announced, uh, they had their earnings call last week, or actually I think it was two weeks ago, um, and they reported that their revenue, because of the switch, was up year over year 150%. Uh, just imagine if they actually made more than seven switches. <laughs> it's astounding. I think they are, they have, uh, the, the people doing all the scalping are Nintendo employees, and I think Nintendo... It, they, it's basically Nintendo um, being able to take all this additional money for themselves. That's what I think. That's another one of my conspiracy theories. They have, they, they just have like a, a eBay sweatshop running in the mm-hmm. in the basement out in in Washington somewhere. Absolutely. When you see the the eBay username uh, Miyamoto Sun O two four, and you're like, oh, that's clever. <laughs> no, it really is Miyamoto. He's he's actually the one. It's strange, you know. It's crazy. I, I was looking at their their stock prices. And January 1st, Nintendo's stock was at uh, $26.19. That's January, well, I guess January 3rd, the first active open market, open stock market day of 2017. 26 bucks. Today, their stock closed at $42.38. That's up 62% in the span of eight months that's crazy that is nuts people say that you know nintendo's they 
they're costing themselves money and everything by by not releasing the switch and not having enough hardware in to meet the the demand in stores but i don't I don't think this is a bad thing for them at all. I mean, it keeps it keeps the Switch's popularity at the front of consumers' mindsets. It keeps the popularity, or it keeps their their mentality wet for, uh, or their their appetite wet for wanting to buy one. And it almost guarantees that if they saw one sitting on a store shelf, they would buy it just because they know that they may na- may not get another chance. Where that's not the same with say uh, an Xbox One, where you can just go in and know, ah, I'll wait and I'll buy it next time I see it or whatever. Yeah, and I don't want to I don't want to big time you here, but uh, my uh, Nintendo stock is currently worth um, exactly. Uh, let me let me scan through all of my stocks here. Uh, let's see here. Market value is uh, currently worth uh, $127. Hey. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But you'll big, pretty soon you'll deal. get a dividend there. You know, three share dividend is going to be, you're going to be rolling in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I think I'm going to reinvest that in uh, Turbo Express stock. Yeah. Yeah. Any NEC is really on the uprise. They're, they're coming back. <laughs> they are coming I, back. I have a feeling. <laughs> I, uh, I think this... So the, the success of the Switch astounds me, um, and that maybe that's sacrilege to say. I have a Switch. I like the Switch. I don't love the Switch. To me, it's a it's a fun uh, Legend of Zelda system. And interestingly enough, uh, of course, the Legend of Zelda isn't even unique to the Switch. The Wii U has the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. So I'm so, so, so surprised that it's ex- as successful as it has been because from my perspective, it's still very, very low on quality games um most of the games that have come out have been i mean of course splatoon 2 is going to be huge everyone knew it was going to be huge and that's probably where a lot of that's coming from uh mario kart um 8 deluxe of course that's going to be big and then your legend of zelda breath of the wild but i'm hard pressed to find a fourth game that has really been a huge blockbuster for them and i guess maybe you don't need four games to be a blockbusters maybe three are just fine but it seems strange to me that it's so successful when they really have so few games and and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just so focused on my PlayStation four that I don't really care much anymore. Well, I think it's, it's sort of anachronistic to compare the switch now to the PlayStation fours library. Now Uh, you have to think of it in terms of the PlayStation four at launch or the Xbox one at launch where most system launches aren't riddled with, you know, triple a titles and must-haves they you're lucky if a a console launch within the first three months has a killer app or two at the most um so i think as far as i think as far as game accompaniment for uh, a launched console i think the switch is doing relatively well uh Mm. in my opinion yeah yeah well your opinion's wrong so on to the next entirely that's entirely true (laughs) did before we move off of the switch did you see and this is just completely off the cuff but we there was a a youtuber and his name is the wolf den w-u-l-f-f den d-e-n who back in 2015 basically predicted the switch perfectly really he showed uh, a, a nintendo promotional scene that was released that showed um some blurred out hands of uh gameplay and then sort of hands in front of it showing a user playing a game with the game on the screen and it looks like what we now know as the switch with the joy cons attached to the side of it and he was comparing it to at the wii mote or i'm sorry the wii u screen at the time and saying how it clearly wasn't the the wii mote gamepad um, but that he predicted that this was really the next coming system from Nintendo and that it would be a combination uh, portable slash Wii U all on one system and it would replace the the Wii U line and it would replace the 3DS line and actually goes on to talk about it at, at quite length and it's it's pretty creepy how how well he he nailed almost everything. Well, I'm absolutely gonna watch that. That sounds really interesting. The Wolf Den. The Wolf Den, W-U-L-F-F. Awesome. Yep, I'm looking at it right now. Yep, there's plenty of uh, Nintendo content on his channel, so I assume I found the right Wolf Den. Yeah, and his, his stuff seemed pretty pretty high quality, high production value too, so I actually watched a couple of other videos of it, of his while I after I watched that, and it seemed like some pretty decent stuff. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Speaking of decent stuff... 
Uh, I'm assuming there's going to be plenty of decent stuff at the Barry Game Exchange. Do you feel the same? Oh, man, I'm so excited <laughs> for the Barry Game Exchange. Um, so this is a a game swap meet, for lack of a better term, that happens in, in Barry, Ontario, which is a little ways outside of Toronto. Um, and it's, it's sort of, uh, seems like a, a convention for the cartridge club. Um, now the cartridge club is sort of a community of gamers online that, uh, Caleb and I both alluded to earlier in the show, um, and has been just a really fantastic group of folks to get to know. Um, they're all over the country and really all over the world. Uh, we've got game, we've got members in New Zealand, members in Europe, members in Japan, um, a lot of members in Canada. Uh, that's kind of where it was founded. Uh, a bunch of members here in the, in the U.S. where Caleb and I are. Um, and a lot of them are going to be at the Berry Game Exchange. Uh, it's actually put on by one of the club members, uh, Nintendo Hodge. Um, and it's going to be great. There's going to be a huge selection of video games. They're also going to be dabbling in uh, collectible card games and board games and things outside of sort of the video game niche area. Um, so it's really expanding. It's, it's going to be exciting. For you, I'm not going. This is, this is terrible. You, I'm, maybe you should really talk to, like, It's Rocket Sauce or something. Maybe he could swing down and, and kidnap you. That, yes. <laughs> I, I, that's the way to go about it. I'll just make my wife uh, think that I was kidnapped and then jump out and say, psych, when I come back. And I will bring her some video games for her troubles. Yeah. yeah. She'll be so happy to see you, she won't even be upset. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell I'm not married? I have no idea how this works. <laughs> no, see, and most wives are probably pretty cool with, with their husbands getting kidnapped. My wife is just a weird one, you know? She's she's a, she's a stickler. She's a stickler. No, getting kidnapped again. I'm like, come on, honey. Everyone's getting kidnapped, but not you. And uh, it's, it's a pain in the butt. I, you know, I am genuinely jealous. Uh, I've, I'm a fairly newish member to the Cartridge Club. I've been around uh, for probably a, for a couple months. Um and uh, immediately the whole the, the sense of community there is real. And this seems like something where it really, even if you had never met face to face with any of these people, it's going to feel like just meeting up with friends and hanging out with friends. I, I, I feel like that's what it's going to be like. I'm hoping everyone in the Cartridge Club will do take lots of video, uh, maybe even do some you know podcast recordings, that sort of stuff to make people like me who aren't going to be able to be there feel as though we were that's my hope well the the club does such a great job with inclusion and there's so many content creators there that are far better than i will ever be um so i'm sure there will be a lot of fantastic coverage um folks like um you know musty hobbit and and the cartridge bros and it'll be it'll be great so the berry game exchange is uh Two weekends from now, I believe, or maybe it's what what day? What day is it? Today's Thursday. Yes, mm-hmm. not this weekend, but the next weekend. So it's August thirteenth uh, in Barrie, Ontario. So if you're anywhere nearby, definitely swing by and uh, meet some of the Cartridge Club members. Uh, say hi to to me. I'm happy to look forward to chatting with with everybody that's going to be there. Um, but I think we are basically out of time here. This uh, this inaugural episode of the Masters of Unlocking podcast is has gone by quickly. Hopefully our listeners will are still awake and feel the same way. <laughs> um, but why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the interwebs, Caleb? Will do. Uh, Caleb J. Ross pretty much everywhere. Uh, J as in the letter J, not the name. Uh, Caleb J. Ross. Uh, I am most active on Twitter, uh, but probably most entertaining or at least most uh, not annoying on YouTube. At least I hope so. Um, I don't. I make uh, YouTube videos uh, usually about once a week, sometimes more often. I do very short, quick uh, video game reviews, but then I also do longer, more in-depth sort of think pieces. Uh, but they are very personality-driven, I hope. That's what I try to get across, and that's really what keeps me motivated to keep going. Also, what keeps me motivated to keep going making these videos is when people subscribe and like videos and share videos and all that good stuff. It helps. Um, I depend on the validation. Uh, I, I depend on validation of others to keep me going more than I would like to admit, but it's true. Don't we all? And we Don't do. We all. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, 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 I would love for all of you out there to just go give my videos a nice little thumbs up and subscribe. And they're well worth it he's he's very modest uh, his content is fantastic oh you know, so that means a yeah. lot thank you Aww. well where can where can people find you mr vg aholic well they can find me on 
most of the social media folks as VG Collectaholic. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. Uh, I have a YouTube channel that's coming, so uh, feel free to hit me up on, on any of those social media platforms. Love chatting, game playing, game collecting, or um, you know, love hearing what other folks collect and uh, comparing our collection idiosyncrasies. Oh, hey, hey, I wait, wait, I've, I've, I've got another one. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Video games are like kids because very rarely do I want to put more than 20 hours of work into them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Very that's, rarely, that's the last very one. rarely do I want to unwrap them from cellophane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, once again, you got me. But um, ching. <laughs> well, if you like our cheesy jokes, our rambling madness, or have any inkling that you enjoy video games and need another podcast on your podcast feed. Don't forget to subscribe to us. Um, you, know, you can find us on iTunes, uh, the Google Play Store, any place that, that podcasts are, are you know, found by you. Um, I have podcasts all over the place and can't keep them straight. Um, I feel like <laughs> most of the time while I'm working, I'm listening to podcasts. So we're happy to throw another one on your daily rotation. Um, we are aiming to come out bi-weekly. Every other Monday, we'll run about an hour to most of the time. So check us out. Thanks for listening, and see you in two weeks after the big game.